Welcome back to the DSO Decision, episode 16. I'm talking uh, with my co- trusty co-host, David Cohen. David, hello. How's it going? Looking forward to another one here. Going really well. I'm your host, Brian Hanks, uh, accountant extraordinaire for dentists. And you and I get these DSO questions a lot, David. David, you work in the legal world. Uh, if you're just joining us or need a reminder, I work in the accounting world. I run the numbers on transitions for dentists around taxes and values. And is this a good price? And David is the more important of the two of us. And he makes sure that everyone's protected, understands the risks and, um, you know, does uh, private deals and DSO deals and is really kind of a master of his craft around the country. If you talk to anybody that does uh, dental transitions in any kind of way, shape or form, whether it's legal banking, brokers, um, CPAs, David's name is very, very well known. So you guys are very lucky to have him, uh, you know, just sharing his wisdom for free. And it is for free. We aren't looking for compensation. You'll notice there are no ads on this podcast. Uh, All we ask is that you, if you find this helpful, share this with a friend, uh, elevate the conversation in the industry around what's normal, what's expected. That's what we're hoping to get out of this. And if you feel extra grateful and you wouldn't mind leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes or something like that, we'd appreciate it. And then if you feel extra, extra grateful and you want to reach out and work with us officially, we're not opposed to that. That's not why we're doing the podcast. Uh, and you can find our co- contact information in the show notes uh, if you ever do need to reach out with a specific question. David, I'll, I'll volunteer you. You tell me if, if I'm putting you on the spot here. Is it okay if people just reach out to you with a quick question and shoot you a quick email or something like that? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, I yeah. respond to every email and uh, I would look forward to it. I'm $250 in email to respond to. So David's the, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I don't. don't. Okay. Um, So David, we're talking the top 10 mistakes. Yeah. The DSO down the road, or excuse me, (laughs) the dentist down the road makes on their DSO deal. And uh, we're talking uh, numbers six through 10. We may have a bonus uh, for them if we, if we get to that point, but uh, first uh, number six, we're we're using the mistake uh, as tag along rights for equity. That's a mouthful. Um, what's the mistake and why do I need to pay attention to this? Yeah. So when you have equity in your deal, um, there you're going to have, typically the DSO is going to have something called a drag along, right? Which means that they get to drag you along. In other words, force you to sell when they want to sell. And that makes sense because they can't really market the, the flip of, uh, you know, the equity without knowing that they can drag along the doctors along the way, right? So it makes sense. You're never going to find a DSO deal where there's not a drag along, right? Where, where the no, DSO could... Let me, let me uh, put this in um, simple Brian language. I sell, I get a giant check. There's cash in my bank account. Equity, first of all, is I own, I own now a part of the DSO, like shares in, in General Motors or Apple or something like that. So I own a little piece of the DSO. And then what's happening with the DSR? Are they selling to like private equity or something? Or like what's correct? What am I getting dragged along to? Correct. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Um, so backing up, um, the goal typically in a deal when you sell to a DSO and you retain equity um, moving forward is that the DSO can bunch you up with other practices and sell at a higher multiple um, down the road. And so in doing so, they need to and want to be able to drag you along, i.e. force you to participate in that sale transaction. Gotcha. Okay. So the mistake here is assuming that the D- if the DSO sells to private equity, then I'm going to get a big giant check too. 
And you're saying that's not necessarily true. So you got to pay attention here. So what's the mistake that dentists often make? Exactly. So, you know, having laid the foundation, you know, for drag along, just so you can conceptualize as a doctor how it all works. That doesn't mean that the DSO has to, right? Like they have the right to drag you along, but they don't have to drag you along. Often DSOs will, if they do engage in the transaction that I was just referring to, they won't sell all of uh, the practices or all portions of the practices. And so um, the mistake that I'm seeing doctors make is not having what we call a tag along right, which says, okay, DSO, you have the right to drag me along. But if you don't drag me along, I have the right to tag along, meaning I have the right to, to participate if you don't require that I participate. And why is that a mistake? It's a mistake because if you as a doctor want to be able to participate, your hands might be tied. And if your hands are tied, technically, you could sit there forever. And probably would not ever happen, but you technically could just sit there and never be able to participate in an equity event because the DSO doesn't doesn't have to uh, drag you along. And if you don't have that tag along right, then um, you really could just sit there, right? And not, not ever be able to exit. Just sitting there is uh, equivalent to like, I own a, a million shares of Apple stock and I'm watching the stock price go up and down and I hear Apple's going to sell to Microsoft or something. That's, that's ridiculous. But anyway, you know, like, and then I own these shares, but I can do nothing with them. I can right. and not sell the, my shares. I can't give them. I can't gift them. Anyway, okay, yeah. And depending on the deal, you know, you might get distributions which is nice. Um, But many, you know, many DSOs don't necessarily give distributions, right? It's all about the flip. And so, yep. Okay. So you just have to kind of, you just have to be aware if you're a doctor. Um, And and look, if you don't have a tag along, right. But as we talked about on the prior episode, your employment triggers a repurchase by the DSO of your equity at fair market value then at least it's an exit strategy. Now, if fair market value is not going to be the multiples you get in uh, you know, a private equity third-party sale necessarily, but you still should get some good money for that as far as appreciating and most practices appreciate in value, and at least you'd have an exit strategy. But that's why we talked in the last episode about these ties of employment to the equity because you want to make sure that that would be the case. There is, there is a DSO out there where um, the... Termination of employment doesn't trigger a repurchase, and there is no tag along right, hmm. and therefore the doctor really could just sit there. You're kind of at the mercy of the DSO to quote right. Me. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So let's switch gears. Let's move to mistake number seven. And uh, I I see this a lot actually. I'm curious how often you do. Mistake number seven is only getting one offer from a DSO. Um, this seems understandable to me. Uh, first of all, how often do you, is it the case? That a dentist comes to you, hires you as their attorney, and has only literally talked with one DSO. One offer, one conversation, one DSO at the table, hasn't even explored talking to other DSOs. Uh, I would say probably 25% of the time, um, we get a doctor that comes to us with with the DSO deal. You know, maybe they met up at a conference um, or, or, you know, whatever, um, and they have one DSO they've been dealing with. And it doesn't mean that that's not the right fit. But it's hard to understand the market without understanding what other types of offers might be out there. And I always encourage multiple offers, not just from a financial standpoint, but really from a best fit standpoint. 
you know, you want to make sure as a doctor that the DSO deal is the best fit for you. And you want to, you have to understand what the market is and probe it to really understand if that DSO you're dealing with is the best. And so when we go back to number one of our last podcast, which is hiring a team, you know, a broker can be a really good um, ally for you as far as um, probing the market, seeing what's out there, seeing what the best fit for your practice and what the best value could be for your practice. So um, I can think of a very common objection to this, uh, this mistake. So the, the dentist says, you know, I talked to this DSO, they seem like they're great people. It does align with the values that I have and, I, and the money's what I want it to be. And um, I did hire a team. And holy cow, David, you wouldn't believe the, the amount of paperwork I had to provide this DSO just to even get an LOI on the table and to feel like this deal might happen. I mean, it was easily, you know, a month's worth of work and every sheet of paper I've ever looked at in my practice. You're telling me I got to go find another DSO to get a, a uh, an offer from. And by the way, I followed your advice. I've got a good, I've got Cohen Law Firm PLLC on my team. I've got Brian Hanks as my accountant. Like they're going to tell me if I'm getting a good deal or not, right? Yeah, I think that, look, in the very isolated circumstance where the doctor is 100% aware of what the market is and what in sort of what and 100% clear with themselves on what they want out of the deal and what's the best fit for them. Um, and if the DS, if they're dealing with one DSO, and it literally checks every single one of their boxes. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be an exception, they don't need to go probe the market and get a whole bunch of other offers. It's just my experience with those 25% of the people that come to me is they don't really know what they don't know. And what happens is that the DSO tries to retrade them and they're like, hey, actually, you know, this, they want to give me less money now. It's like, well, what are your options? Leverage is options. Do you have, is your practice marketable to other DSOs? Do you, are there other, you know, offers out there that you can get? Well, I don't know. Right. And I think that's what the issue, you know, one example of the downside to that. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Perfect. So let's talk about mistake number eight, assuming the real estate takes care of itself. Why is this a mistake? The real estate, I mean, come on, the economic engine of the deal is the dental practice. So why is the real estate a problem here? Yeah, the real estate's an issue because as we've talked about on our prior podcasts, um, real estate is important if you own the real estate as a doctor, but the lease is also important um, if you don't, as far as a, a lease assignment is concerned. And um, without with, with just assuming that the real estate takes care of itself, meaning that the lease will just get transferred over to the, the DSO if you are um, not owning the building um, or, um, you know, you're you'll just sign whatever documents to sell over the, the building to the DSO or you'll sign whatever lease they want to put put in front of you. Um, that could have significant adverse effects going forward. And real estate is an asset. And for many doctors, that asset is worth close to what the practice is worth, and it should be treated the same way as the practice. And you should get representation to review the legal docs for the real estate side of the deal. And, and I will also say that oftentimes the real estate documents on our DSO deals are probably the heaviest negotiated parts of the deal. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You would think uh, at least not knowing how these work, I would have thought it was more around the dental practice. Seems like the numbers are bigger and there's more issues in, at stake and at play. Okay, nice. Okay, so um, 
yeah, the real estate doesn't necessarily take care of itself. Make sure your attorney deals with uh, the real estate and, and DSOs. Okay. Right, just more specifically real quick. So if you own the if you own the building and if you don't own the building and you're transferring the lease, make sure you're reviewing, you know, hiring counsel to review that lease and what bat what things that could be triggered by you trying to transfer this lease over pursuant to you know our prior podcast. If you do own the building, you know, just make sure that you're caring about that part of the transaction as much as, as the practice in terms of negotiating the document. And mistake number nine does kind of similarly deal with leases a little bit. And this is um, not going to apply to everybody. So your your buddy dentist down the street may not make this mistake if they don't own the building. Okay. But mistake number nine is has to do with fair market value for rent. What's the mistake, David? Yeah, the rent, the rent, uh, you know, not being fair market value is a problem because if you're a doctor and you own your building and you're going to be leasing it back to the DSO and you don't have fair market value rent, that establishes your, that essentially establishes the value of your property because a buyer, if you ever want to sell your property, is going to look at what your rent is and that's going to be a baseline for value uh, evaluation and the value of your property. So it's really important that it's at least fair market value. Now, the tricky part is that in DSO deals, as we've talked about on the prior podcast, um, it, it's often a huge enterprise value for the whole deal. And they'll assign certain monies to the rent. And you know, you may be told that if rent has to come up, it's got to come off somewhere else in the deal. So it's really important, again, hiring a team, really important with your team at the beginning of the deal to get way out in front of it, make sure you have fair market value rent, and that's unaffected by the enterprise value valuation on the other part of the deal. But um, but really, you know, just making sure that, that that rent is fair market value is critical because you have an asset, you haven't sold it yet. And um, it, for a lot of our doctors, that is something they're counting on down the road for their financial plan. And what you don't want to have happen is you want to sell that property five, 10 years later, and you realize that the rent that you agreed to establish the value and that you know that value is not market, and you know with the with the area that you're in. I kind of forgot about. It. We did talk about this on a prior prior episode, but you're right. A lot of doctors treat the building as kind of the boost that they need to retire, right? That it's the plug to to fill the retirement bucket that they need to walk away and maintain their lifestyle. And what I hear you saying is, if the fair, if the rent, if the, whatever the DSO is paying you for rent is lower than it quote unquote should be or could be. Uh, you know, some buyer down the road is going to say, well, I'd like to buy your building. How much have you been renting it for? Oh, you only rented it for a thousand and you could have rented it for 10,000. The seller's going to say, wait, 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 I could have rented it for 10. You know, the buyer's going to say, yeah, but you did rent it for one. So therefore the price of the building is X and uh, that, okay, nice. That's cool. Yeah. And the other downside that can happen too is, as you know, Liam talked about on a prior podcast is the DSO could, could, you know, try to put an option to purchase yeah. in there where they get the first option to purchase the real estate. And now they've already sort of like worked an advantage to themselves to buy it at a lower price because of the rent establishment. Good. Okay. Mistake number 10 is doing a DSO deal when it's not a good fit. Can you say more about this is a little bit editorial, right? We're now we're outside of legal documents now, and I'm asking you to assess the personalities and life plans of your clients. But I'm sure you see deals that don't go well. And, and, and can you talk about why and like, what, what does not a good fit mean? 
Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about on our probably the first podcast, I think, was DSO deals are good for some and they're not as good for others. We as a firm, we love DSO deals. I mean, they're great deals for a lot of our clients, but they're not a good fit for everybody. And it's really important for you as, as a client to understand what DSO deals entail and, and really evaluate truthfully um, to look within as to whether or not this is going to be a good fit for you. Now, what does a good fit mean? A good fit means what are what are you looking to accomplish moving forward with your practice? If you want if you want autonomy and control over your practice for the rest of your life, a DSO deal is not going to be a good fit because as we you know we talked about on the last podcast, if you're going to sell, you're going to relinquish control because DSOs are going to not usually take a, a minority interest in your practice; they're going to take at least a majority interest. And you're going to then relinquish control. And you would want that too if you were buying someone else's business, a majority stake of it. So if a doctor's number one priority is having control and autonomy over their practice, then a DSO deal is not going to be a good fit because you're not going to get that in a DSO deal. If your number one thing that you want to get out of deal is getting as much money as you possibly can for your practice, a DSO deal probably will be a good fit because in almost every case, you're going to get more money from a DSO deal than you are a private deal. Maybe. Um, so right. those are examples. Yeah, I'll just dis I'll dispute the last. It's not a dispute. You're not wrong. And when we do a side by side analysis for a doctor, let's this is where it gets tricky, right? It has to each individual deal has to make sense. And, and I'm previewing mistake number 11 here a little bit. But I will just put in a plug and say, doctor in their 40s, even their late 40s, that wants to retire by age 60. Okay, so they've got, let's just say 10 years left. When you do a cash flow analysis for that doctor and show them the income that they can make over 10 years versus the amount they're going to make from a DSO in the next 10 years, it's really fascinating when you do the math and you treat time value of money and interest rates, and you have to make some assumptions on growth rates and et cetera, et cetera, inflation, uh, but when you do that analysis for a lot of doctors, the numbers aren't as stark as you might think. Sometimes, yes, the numbers fall out on the DSO side, meaning it's it makes more you're going to receive more cash in your bank account with the DSO deal, assuming that the risks don't happen, the DSO stays solvent and sells to private equity and those things. Uh, but just as often, it's true that the doctor that owns that practice and just maintains sole ownership for the next 10 years, they actually make more money than if they would have sold through DSO 10 years ago. Uh, so it all depends on the economics of the deal. It all depends on the goals of the doctor. I've seen oral surgeons, I think I mentioned this before, but an oral, oral surgeon with a hand tremor, right? And is nervous about his ability to produce income for the next 15 years. Could be nothing, but it might be something. So therefore I'm gonna take some chips off the table today. That's totally different than uh, you know, a, a doctor in their, you know, 41 year old doctor that just says, hey, everybody's doing it. I guess I should too. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I should clarify um, what I meant was, you know, doctor selling, saying, I'm going to sell my practice right now. And I'm deciding whether I want to sell right now to a private buyer or whether, or, or if I want to sell to a DSO. I want to make the most money I possibly can on this sale transaction. Typically, the DSO deal, you would make, uh, uh, you know, far more money than you would in that private deal um, in, like, if you were selling right now. Right. And so we, we sometimes have doctors that come to us and say, Hey, I'm selling right now. I just don't know if I want to sell to a DSO to, or to a private buyer right now. Right. Yeah, love so that. that. That's what I was. No, no. And, uh, again, you're not wrong. Uh, so, 
Perfect. So mistake number 11, just the bonus mistake, is assuming that everyone either is or will sell to a DSO. I can't tell you how, uh, David, I'll, I'll start here and then you either tack on or disagree. Feel free to disagree. But uh, the number one or number 11 mistake I see dentists make, which often feels like mistake number one, is they just assume these private equity roll-ups will eat the dental world and everyone will have sold to a DSO within, you know, usually it's, gosh, if you're reading a Facebook group, it's within two years, but for sure within five or 10. <laughs> and uh, I just, there's just no possible way. So um, I'll, I'll make the case on why I don't think so, but I'll cite some data first and or data, however you pronounce it. But the data that I see shows that less than 20% of dental practices in the US are affiliated with any kind of DSO or corporate dental group of any kind. And, and by the way, any kind includes you know, the endodontist who bought four practices and is calling it a, a corporate group of dental practices uh, on up to Heartland and the big ones, right? So, um, you know, four out of five dental practices nationwide are still owned in private hands. And yes, yes, in the business world, private equity roll-ups are a, a very well-known business strategy. You see it with veterinary practices. You see it with car washes. 20 years ago, you saw it with a dialysis centers. You know, DaVita rolled up most of the country. And in some cases, there's value add. My case on why I don't think DSOs will take over the dental world are twofold. And then, David, I'd be curious if you agree or add anything to the list. Number one, dentists like control too much, right? They didn't wait through biology undergrad and the DAT and dental school and maybe a residency somewhere to then give up control over the hours, who they hire, who they fire, which insurances they do or don't take, where their location is, uh, you know, the patient mix. Uh, dentists like control too much to give it up to a DSO for the rest of their career. Uh, and by the way, that's not a knock on dentists. I'm with you guys. I own my own business for the exact same reason. <laughs> like I like control over my career too much. I'm not willing to hand it off to the average manager in the US who's pretty terrible. Uh, and then the second reason that I don't think that DSOs will eat the dental world is I have yet to see that the patients are any better off in a DSO. So in other words, I don't see DSOs adding value to the patient experience. So therefore, it becomes a, a private equity game that just is inherently um, tied to interest rates and funding and how much cash is sloshing around out in the industry. Uh, so if, for example, with uh, dialysis centers, it made a lot of sense for one company to have a standardized process. Somebody on vacation could go get dialysis and, you know, while they're visiting grandma for Thanksgiving and then come back home to their home state and, and have, you know, their name in the system and, the, and everybody knew everything. Uh, with dental, dental patients, you know, where are the cost savings? Where are the patients better off? Uh, maybe you save a little bit on advertising. Maybe you save a little bit on hiring a payroll company or something like that. But, but in the seat, you know, patient in a chair, are they better off? I would argue no. And um, so that's the, that's my case. But David, feel free to disagree. Where do you where do you see things differently than me? Yeah, you know, going going back to the foundation, DSO deals are great for some and they're not great for others. And just for that reason alone, um, I, I, I do. I don't think that everyone is going to do a DSO deal um, because for many doctors, uh, that that is not going to be a good fit. You know, you referenced, um, you know, control, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of doctors who want to maintain control and autonomy and don't want to sell to a DSO because they're going to relinquish that, right? So I, I definitely agree that um, with that. 
The other thing too, um, just to sort of add on is, you know, right now, October of 2023, right. um, it's, a, it's a really interesting environment. Um, lending has gotten difficult. Um, there are, um, you know, there are DSOs having some trouble getting the funding to buy more practices. And so, you know, I don't know how long this will last. I don't know if this will, if it doesn't last, if it will change the mentality moving forward, if DSOs will be more careful about the, you know, what they do. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I can't forecast what happens going forward. But what I can say is right now we're encountering something that is beyond the control of the dental industry. And that is an economic shift in the, you know, in the economy. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that, how that impacts the DSO deals. I, I, I'm not personally seeing it impact private practices and private deals. Um, it doesn't mean it's not happening. I'm not seeing that. Um, it, but it is affecting the DSO deals 100%. So it, it, it may almost be a, um, whatever you would, uh, an equalizer, so to speak, to some degree, um, you know, an, an organic way for, an, almost like an organic way for, you know, there to be a balance between DSOs and, and non-DSOs. Goal of this podcast is to be timeless and not timely. But if you don't mind me asking, David, we're in the fourth quarter of 2023. Uh, what are you seeing as the differences compared to the fourth quarter of 2022? So just 12 months, we've seen interest rates, inflation rise, we're seeing some private equity money dry up, like um, in a in a encapsulated nutshell. If you don't mind, just keeping it short. Are you seeing fewer deals, less deals, worse deals? You know what what does the market look like today versus twelve months ago? I think we're seeing um, all across the board. We're seeing um, some DSOs that are like still going like gangbusters, and they've gotten the financing, and they're buying a bunch of practices. Um, we're seeing some DSOs slow down. We're seeing some DSOs completely stop and not buy any practices. Are deals getting um, you know less lucrative? Yes, um, and I think number one, it's because those that are going like gangbusters and being able to buy a practices are seizing the opportunity to know that there's less option for for doctors because there aren't as many DSOs um, as before um, that are willing to to buy practices because many have sort of like stopped. So I think. There's more leverage for the DSO to offer that. In addition, there are DSOs that are retrading deals because they're saying, okay, this is a different economic environment. We can do your deal, but it's going to have to be at, you know, blank. Right. And so, yes, uh, we're definitely seeing that. But, you know, again, we're also seeing DSOs going strong. So, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I actually think that it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. Um, It'd be right. Not, not necessarily. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just, no, no. Saying, yeah. you know, actually, I mean, based on what I'm seeing, I think it'll probably happen that way. But, um, but I do think it'll come back and be strong. The question is, what does that look like? Um, you know, what we saw the last like two years was unprecedented. I mean, it was just gobble up every possible practice you possibly can. Um, we had, you know, doc, we had DSOs that were just trying to eat up every single practice that they could, right? And they were just trying to get them closed, trying to get them in. And it was all about bunching them up to try to recap. Will there be that type of a frenzy ever again, right? I don't know. I think this is probably a, um, you know, a reality check to some degree. Could be. Yeah. The data points I'm seeing are A, just a lot fewer conversations about should I sell to a DSO from tax clients, you know, transitions clients, and then B, um, 
yeah, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot more private buyers come to me with the 10th, 11th, and 12th practice that the the 12th practice DSO now is trying to uh, offload. Right, they're trying to unload their less least profitable practices. So, in some cases, I'm seeing DSOs kind of unwind a little bit. So. Well, yeah, one other thing that I'm seeing is that on the, on the smaller scale, you know, I mean, you've got your sort of like doctor who wants to create their own DSO and they want to own, they're not going to own a hundred, but they're going to own five to 10 practices, you know, and sort of almost like creating their own mini DSO. And I think that's a whole nother topic and a whole nother yeah, element. That's true. Maybe we should do an episode on it, but very good. Right. David, thanks so much for being a part of episode 16. This is the DSO decision. And thank you for listening.